to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. This week's Eccentric Minute is the K-Box Belt Squat. Belt squats are a great alternative for athletes who don't handle axial loads well, and a great auxiliary exercise for athletes who need to get a little bit more lower body strength work in. You may sacrifice a little bit of depth when it comes to using the belt with the K-Box, but the addition of that heavy eccentric overload really is a great trade-off. Go ahead, set the belt so that you can come all the way through at the top. Give the wheel a good spin and sit back. I really am a big proponent of having some place where you can hold on for your hands just as a safety mechanism. Push with your feet, keep your chest up, and drive all the way through. This is a great exercise that I'm sure you and your athletes will see great benefit from. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Being a strength and conditioning professional requires constant pursuit of better knowledge, better methods, and better means. But what if there was a place where strength and conditioning coaches could learn from some of the most innovative practitioners in the world, such as Jeff Moyer, Lachlan Wilmot, William Wayland, James the Thinker Smith, and Kirwenham Flat? Well, you could find multiple lectures from each of these top-level coaches and a few lectures and examples from yours truly as well all in the Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is going to bring you well over a hundred different lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world to be your one-stop shop for your continuing education and professional development. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash cvasps to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Frank, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Jay, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Stoked to get this down. Great to catch up here a little bit before we start going. But before we get too far into this, let's let the half a person know, you know, who might not, you know, who is Frank and how'd you get up to Pitt, bud? Uh, well, so I've been at Pitt for uh, just over a year and a half. Um, my, I played soccer uh, growing up, played soccer at university level, uh, University of Buffalo. Uh, Nate Harvey uh, was my strength coach uh, at UB and uh, is the reason that I am I'm sitting here today. Um, really, uh, I learned a lot from him and um, you know, he's, he's who made me want to be a strength coach. So I transferred away from UB after that, continued to play soccer and uh, started the, the journey of interning from there. Um, interned at Methodist University with football. North Carolina Central under John Riley, who's currently at Texas Tech with uh, men's basketball. From there, uh, I went and spent a little bit of time as an intern uh, with Todd Hammer at Robert Morris. Uh, from there, got hired by, by Todd and, and worked with men's and women's soccer and then assisted with basketballs and football. Was pulled away from Todd by UNC, Olympic side of things. Uh, I, two sports I had there were women's golf and rowing, and then uh, assisted with anybody and everybody who, who came through that building. So uh, that was a, a trial by fire and learned a lot under, under the staff there. And then right from there, I was brought to a USL club called San Antonio FC. It's a pro soccer team out there, second level of uh, professional soccer in the United States. Uh, I was brought in by Andy Thompson, who was our high performance director and assistant coach at the time. Uh, was brought in mostly uh, as an athletic development coach to start. And then um, as he transitioned to uh, a team, uh, a different team, then I, I stepped up 
uh, tried to fill some big shoes and uh, took over a high performance coordinator role. Uh, at that point, I was in charge of anything from a physical side, any of our GPS data, uh, some end stage rehab, as well as uh, some of the physical periodization of, of the on-field work. Uh, after about a year and a half at San Antonio, I, I was brought into Pitt. Um, my first year I had softball, uh, track and swimming. And then this year I've taken on, uh, dropped softball and took on men's soccer, which is a bit of a passion project for me, as well as a new group, which is women's lacrosse. So they're starting their first year with us. Uh, we have 14 girls, 15 girls on campus right now. Uh, and then next spring will be our first year uh, in the ACC. So exciting times with them as well. How is that? Like starting with a new team, like that's got to be different. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's interesting. I'm I'm very lucky, you know, to have the staff that we do. Um, Emily Blasino uh, is is the coach who came in uh, uh, to lead the program. Uh, she has you know an incredible pedigree with JMU and, and had a lot of success there. So it's nice to to be behind somebody who has a very clear direction for the way things that uh, she she wants things to go. Uh, but as far as uh, you know, starting with a brand new team and a very young team with some some transfers and some leaders who came in and uh, it, it's been interesting. But uh, you know, as the team grows, you know, we we added two new players this semester and then we'll add more players into the fall uh, and, and really round out the team. It's 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 exciting. It's definitely exciting to be a part of. And that's not an easy pond to swim in when it comes to jumping into the ACC. No, it's uh, it's it's the best conference in the country for for women's lacrosse. So, um, yeah, it's we we've got some we've got some big things ahead of us. Um, and I know I know coach has a few few teams circled on that schedule that she's ready to get after. And um, you know she's had some a lot of success uh, as an associate head coach at JMU against ACC teams. So she knows what's she knows what's expected and um, she knows what it takes to get there. So um, yeah, we've got we've got a year pretty much till now to to get it ready. Yeah, that's wild. But I think that one thing that, you know, we talk about often when we're talking about these situations is not so much uh, looking forward, but kind of working our way backward when it comes to how we look at these things. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's a nice little setup, Jay. I think that's, uh, it, it definitely is is my starting point as as we go into how I train and, and, and what we really want to do. Um, you know, a, a lot of coaches go into, we take the sport first and we re reverse engineer the sport, but um, to, to really go into what is expected out on the field um, from a sporting action point and then bringing it back down to a basic action all the way back down to movements and, and muscle actions um, is really, really helps even when you're working with a new sport or a sport you know very well, like I, like I think I know soccer. Um, I, I think that's, that's where we have to start and and it's, it's where we, we direct our training from. So let's walk through that process, you know, and how then you can connect those two islands, if you may, because there's, I think that people, I think that people at times look at invasion games like soccer and field hockey and lacrosse, and they love to talk about why it's so unique when there's a lot of things that intertwine and a lot of connections that occur and a lot of things that because you have a background in soccer would better prepare you to work with those ones. 
Yeah, definitely. I think when, when it comes to, you know, how you bridge that gap, I think it's really important to talk about the actual starting point. And it's very easy to say women's lacrosse looks like soccer, looks like field hockey, looks like that if you start from a physical standpoint. So if you start from the physical, you say, okay, well, they all jump, they all sprint, they all, all run, they all shuffle, they all try to change directions. And that is very true. They do all of those things. And those are, you know, I would consider basic actions um, based on, you know, some, some methodology from Raymond Verheyen and worked, worked on a lot more from um, a friend of mine, Josh, uh, Josh Vega and in, in myself. But when you start from the actual sport, those things start to look a little bit different. So when you start from the game of soccer, you talk about, you don't talk about sprinting and jumping, you talk about pressing, you talk about scoring goals, you talk about passing to your teammate, you talk about creating space or reducing space in transition. And then from there, you can deduce down to what the basic actions are required within that. So the basic action in scoring a goal could be sprinting, it could be jumping, you know, if you're going to go head the ball, it could be uh, changing direction. But starting with the sport, you can start to realize where you need to begin and then where the importance of those basic actions are. So um, I've described this, this recently, but talking about the position, the moment, the direction and speed of a sporting action, a football action, if we're talking about soccer or a lacrosse action, uh, you, you can really have a bit of a different lens in the way that you look at at basic actions or sprinting or strength if we go all the way down to like the muscle action level. Uh, when, when we're talking about pressing, to use a, an easy example, there's a position where you start from, there's a moment in which you decide to do that, there's a direction where we go to, and then there's a speed. As strength and conditioning coaches or performance coaches, we can mostly only affect the speed of that action. So we can't really affect the tactics. We can't affect the position that the player starts in the moment they decide or, or the direction that they run. And that's what the coaches are there for. Um, and so we shouldn't take that as our job, but we can affect the speed. So when it comes to something like pressing, we would talk about the speed of sprinting or the speed of decelerating when it comes to running out to that player. Um, so, as we go down now, we have some places where we can really interject into the sport. And that is, you know, you're sprinting, you're stopping, you're jumping, you're landing, you're changing directions, you're, um, you know, fighting with players that we would call them combatives at Pitt. Um, coach, our coach here would call them combatives. Um, but now you have those basic actions that we can try to improve with our, our strength training, our um, our movement training, if we want to talk about like sprint technique or stopping technique, the efficiency of those movements. So now we can do that with every sport. And, and that goes all the way into team sports or evasion sports, like you mentioned. Um, but just like we all would, if I have swimming or track, we should do those with, with our, our swimming or our track movements as well. Good thing about track is you're really only evaluating one basic action, right, which is sprinting. Uh, or hurdling if you have some of those. So um, it becomes a lot easier to train a sport like swimming or track because you're, you're diving down a little bit closer into one action. Um, so yeah, I mean, circling back, I think it's having that, having that starting point and truly understanding what the sport requires. Um, it, it can make things a little bit complicated, but it also can, can help you help guide you to, to where we need to go. 
So for someone who, I guess, as we jokingly like to say, uh, is looking to maybe take the red pill and kind of take a look at it that way, let's talk about the process of actually identifying that. Because I think that we're, again, kind of set myself up for that there is that people look at that and they're like, okay, so they have to run faster and there has to be repeatability. So speed reserve and, you know, whatever we want to talk about with that sense and their ability to change direction. So that technically along with, you know, being able to perceive and, and react within space and those sort of things are what's important. But then how do you delineate things? How do you separate things? And how do you then, you know, for like the pressing example, right? Like how do you delineate the difference between curvilinear running in the sports or whatever it may be? Yeah, so the the, the red pill versus blue pill is is uh, comes definitely more from a conversation that Brian Trum, who's the head women's coach at YFU, uh, and I had recently sitting down for lunch. And um, it, it's it's interesting and we had a little bit of a conversation earlier about it would be a lot easier to just to pick in the blue pill right? and just focus on strength and just focus on speed uh, in, in in all of those but taking the red pill complicates things so so being able to to find our space within this this matrix that has been opened us up to us um is is difficult when you when you first go into it but using that principle of starting with the sport you know that that is where we can never take away from. So we can never take away from basketball practice or soccer practice or women's lacrosse practice by chasing these things of strength and speed. And, and so that's why I think as a principle, it's mostly important to, to look at it once that world has been open to you, that we need to start with that. Now within that, as you said, there is a lot of space for us to, to make those things better. So we need to improve sprinting or improve stopping. Uh, one of our, the, the, our style of play at, at Pitt is going to require a lot of meters per minute. It's gonna require a lot of accelerations and decelerations because we wanna play a high pressing game. Uh, it's also gonna, it's gonna require being able to maintain high speed distances. You know, we need to be able to repeat high speed, longer runs because we wanna play on, on transition at times. So we need to be able to handle that. Now, that's not necessarily the way San Antonio played. So when you do take a look at the style of play, as well as the demands that are expected from your players, it can very much change what the, what the game looks like. So, um, you know, now for us, as you said, what, what does that look like in a sprinting? If we can get that sprinting from the sport, this is mostly from um, the head coach and, and our sports scientists, um, and we can get that from the sport in the way that we, we set up the way our games, the our, our size of our games are, uh, maybe adding in a transition to start by playing the ball over the defender's head and everybody having to press over 35 yards, then that should be our starting point of getting these things. Um, if we're just trying to get high speed distance. At the same time, there's an efficiency component of that action. So my job is to get them better at sprinting, get them better at uh, curvilinear sprinting, for, for example, or get them better at stopping. So my job may not be to make them better at transitioning, but I have, a, I have a role within that to allow them to get better at those basic actions. So for us, that would mean, you know, as it, it could mean increasing unilateral eccentric strength, 
in order to get better at stopping. And that is the, the physical capacity. And we can test that through um, maybe it's a single leg squat, you know, and, and how we evaluate that, a split squat, something along those lines. If we're talking about sprinting, maybe it's eccentric hamstring strength as a, as a, um, as a way to measure injury risk. Um, I know that's a, that's a controversial one for some people, but it's a way for us to measure it. Maybe it's just putting a timer on a 10 meter sprint or a 30 meter sprint and using that to evaluate if we're getting them better at the things we're trying to get them better at. Um, as my job, it would be to focus on those things and allow them to express those with the coaches. Yeah, and then when you're looking at how those then intertwine within practice, I think that that idea of utilizing, you know, the small-sided games, if you may, or the, the drill work is really where is a couple of things for us. One, like as a soccer player, like that's fun because we understand that, right? Like we were born on 5v2, right? Like that's where we learned everything. Like this is where you figure it out and it's like you get thrown in different situations or, you know, 3v3 with a channel, you know, like something like that where we understand those different things. Um, but also can be a murky kind of set of water for the meathead, for those listening air quotes, to be swimming in. Yeah, and, and, and that is where, you know, spending a little bit more time out at training or with your coaches can help um, in, in starting to, you know, even if it's just put a number on, on what those things are through, through some technology if you have it or just from, uh, you know, the perception of the athletes and understanding that, hey, if we're playing a 3v3 in, in a 20-yard grid uh, versus a 10-yard grid, we're going to feel things differently. Um, and so when, when it comes to, to how, you know, a meathead may perceive that, it's 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 going to really have to come from the players and trusting them and what they're feeling and in history and knowing what those things are and 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 how those things affect phys us physically. So if we're playing a small sided game and it's in a very small space, we know we're going to get more accelerations and decelerations versus high speed distance. With that being said, if we're going to get more accelerations and decelerations, we're going to have a higher physical cost on the adductor and in the glutes and the quads. Whereas if we're going into very large spaces, uh, say an 11 v 11 game or an 8 v 8 game in a full size pitch or something that allows the players to open up and sprint a little bit more, then we're going to have a higher cost on the hamstring. Um, and, and that's going to be really important for how we structure our week in the weight room or how we structure our week, uh, maybe in our warmups. If we're going to do uh, a large-sided day where, where we're playing 11 v 11 or, or in, in larger areas if we don't have the, the numbers, then we need to prepare the hamstrings or we need, not, we need not fatigue the hamstring if they're going into that. Again, if we're always starting with the sport like we all say we want to, then we need to allow the athletes to be able to express and be safe in their expression of the physical capacities that we want them to do. Yeah, because I think that really the big part with all of that is that and that's kind of the, the, the part that I think is like the, the light bulb for a lot of people is, is understanding that like we really, really like almost as much as sports medicine, we really like to bash sport coaches. Not quite as much as strength coaches like to bash athletic trainers, 
but we really like to bash sport coaches. But for us to be able to do that, we have to give even more trust to the sport coaches and provide a smarter and more often than not smaller stimulus so that we're able for them to do what we're deeming most important. And that is skill and technical tactical preparation. Correct. And in, in more than anything, scoring more points than your opponent. Um, to, to put it as simply as you possibly can in what sport is, it's depending on your sport, scoring more points than your opponent or getting to the line faster or the wall faster than your opponent. Um, do we think that strength is probably going to influence that? Yes. Does strength probably influence that? Yes. Does speed influence that? Yes. But as we said, the sport is going to influence that significantly more than the speed and strength would. So it doesn't mean we just do the sport. It doesn't mean we say, Jay, I'm done with you. We're just going to be out on the court for the next three hours because there is a physical cost that comes with playing your sport. Um, in, and I learned that a little bit differently coming from soccer to swimming and the fact that there's different physical costs depending on the sport and the load and, and how we have to go through that. But as you said, the smaller stimulus, the, the minim, minimal effective dose or whatever you want to term it is, is going to be, if we can give them a smaller stimulus and still allow them to get better at their sport, then I think that that should be where we start. Not, uh, I think it was, I think it was Hank who said, uh, give them, give the athletes what they need, not what they can handle. Um, and, and that's, I actually, I have it written up on our board at, at Pitt is, is that exact, that exact quote, because we don't need to give them an hour worth of training every time. We don't need to give them four sets or whatever it is, depending on where they're at, if we can still allow them to improve at their sport without it or with a lower dose. Yeah. Cause again, like if in your situation, right, if you're playing 11 v 11 and you're really setting this so that you got guys pinging it around and they're, you know, your wing midfielders are making long runs or your backs are making long runs. Like what is the point of having them in the weight room for an hour? I mean, even if you're like, we got to have them in the weight room for an hour. Okay. Well, what are you going to do? Like, how many different ways can you do curls? Like, <laughs> like, cause eventually like you're just zapping energy that they're going to need for these 60 yard repeats anyway. Right. And then going back to it, one thing that I think this whole time with the Rona has helped us understand is like the importance of sprinting as a neuromuscular stimulus and all the great things that we know happen with it. If we truly believe what we know, and that is that it has the greatest CNS stress of all activities in sports, okay, don't at me. Why wouldn't we make that be the priority? Like, you don't sit here and do a ton of like hamstring curls, calf raises and shrugs, and then try to max out on your freaking cleans off the deck, right? Like everyone would say that like, you don't do like a hundred back raises, a hundred shrugs and like a hundred hamstring curls. Everybody would say that's stupid. Right. 
but we're going to do five sets of five heavy RDLs before we hit 15, 20 repeat 60s in boots chasing the ball. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree with you. I think that if, if you're not out at the pitch, if you've not really seen what a training ride, or if you've never had to run for 90 minutes and know what that's like, it, it's hard to understand those things. Um, I think that that can be a missing piece uh, or a lack of trust in, in the athletes and what they're feeling and what they're experiencing. Uh, it's, it's not easy to turn around and, and, and go and train after 90 minutes on the pitch or an hour and a half on the pitch, um, or excuse me, two hours on the pitch. It's, it's not easy, but it can be done and it should be done. The dose just has to be appropriate. And so, as you said, yeah, we, we can have, you know, 20 sprints in a match or in a, in a, in a training match. And then, okay, they're supposed to come to me. Well, I'm lucky enough that we have, you know, an incredible staff from a sports science standpoint um, with men's soccer who uh, Felix Prussell, who can relay that information to me and say, Hey, we went a little bit more than we had anticipated. Just know that as they're coming in, they're maybe a little bit fatigued. Uh, they, they had more high intensity distance than we expected be easy on their hamstrings. And if we can use that starting point of, okay, they had more high intensity distance. We all know what that means as a staff. I know what that means. The head coach knows what that means. Our athletic trainer, Sam knows what that means. All of these things, we have a very clear language into high intensity distance means a potential for hamstring fatigue. So we need to pull off on that, <laughs> on that exercise. It's, and, and I know some, some people in strength and conditioning can get frustrated because, well, why'd you do more? That wasn't part of the plan. That's the important part over there on the field. That's, that's the important part. Why would we, if we have to get an extra 10 minutes of play versus an extra two sets of Nordics, it's very clear which one's more important to me. Um, so, I, so I think when you can do that and when you can take a deep breath and allow the ego to kind of relax for a second and realize that there is something more important than the four walls with no windows that we live in for 12 hours a day, that, that it makes the decisions a little bit easier. So, I mean, even to, to kind of piggyback that, right? Like in the off season, if they're having a good day, are you going to let them bump it up or do a few extra reps? Of course. So, of course. <laughs> right. Like, you know, I think that we, I'm not discrediting what we do. I'm not saying what we do doesn't matter because it does, it's important. And I wouldn't do all of this stuff if I didn't think it isn't. But I also think at times we like to pick fights in times where we should be trying to find ways where we can pick them up in different ways. Like, all right, practice went long. Maybe instead of being mad that you can't do your single leg RDLs or your rear foot elevated split squats because they're charred, maybe the big thing that you need to do is remind the coaching staff, hey, we still got a match in a couple of days. We got a game tomorrow. And I saw them and they were broke. Like, just so you know, like they're gassed. Like, just keep that in mind when we go in tomorrow. Or let your sports med guy know or your sports med practitioner know that, hey, you know, that some people having some, some, you know, tightness or whatever, based on this, you might want to think about 
something after practice tomorrow. You know, like we look at things all the time like a hammer. And I think that we can we can have a lot of tools in that belt where we we see the we see not necessarily the problem occurring, but what the effect of that stimulus was and can be a much better resource than we allow ourselves to be because we're like, but my block periodization of undulating fluctuations that ends out just being three sets of 10 anyway, so who cares, <laughs> says we're supposed to do four sets of eight Nordics today with a 12 count eccentric and I can only get them to do four reps. Yeah, it just doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't in uh, I like the you know we, we we're hammers at all times um, but at the end of the day we've all had the guys or the girls whoever we're working with come in after something a little bit more than they had expected and you have two options really at that point you can go along with the plan because you want to put your foot down and show the coach that hey you you're, you're the one who messed up because we had a plan or you can probably win the staff over the players over and get put them in a much better position by just saying, ladies, today, we're gonna get through one set of everything that we had planned. We're gonna spend the rest of the time with a lax ball and a roller, and we're gonna, we're gonna feel better going into training tomorrow. And the amount of, of joy on those players' faces, the amount of freshness that they'll come into the session with tomorrow, uh, which is, again, the thing that we should be trying to affect, which is them being able to be better at their sport, is going to be astronomical. So, you know, we, we have these two options and we can, we can continue to be the hammer or we can say, if your principle is always to allow them to get better at their sport, then sometimes we have to take a step back from what we find to be important. As you said, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think this was important. You know, I'd be coaching soccer. It's a lot, of, you know, it's different. It's, it's, if I thought soccer was the only important thing, that's where I'd be. Um, but I find this is super valuable. It's, I had mentors that allowed me to, um, you know, improve and, and do the things that I wanted to as an athlete. Um, and I think that there's value in that, but we also need to know that these, these people are here for a reason, the coaches, the players, and we need to give them the best chance to, to do the thing that they want to. Can always do more tomorrow, but you can't do less yesterday. Perfectly said. And that's a Joseph Johnson. So Joseph, I know you listen. So credit to you as always with your your great. Actually, it was either Joseph or Tony. I'm pretty sure it was Joseph though. But one of the two. It's their impact on me has been said a trillion times. But listen, Frank, let me get you out of here with this, man. Like you're putting out a lot of good stuff right now too, um, content wise. So where can people follow you to you know keep up and and see what you've got going? Uh, yeah, so uh, all of the Twitter, Instagram, uh, at coach underscore Frank B. Um, most of my content right now is driven towards soccer uh, in, in exactly this language that we talked about, starting from the sport and then deducing it down to the basic action. So um, feel free to give me a follow um, and then uh, reach out in any way that you need to. If you want to send me an email, uh, you can do it at frankb.performance at gmail.com. Awesome, brother. Frank. Great catching up, man. I'm glad you're doing great. This is awesome. People are going to love it. Thank you. This is, uh, this is, I've been listening to you for a while. So this is a bit of a dream come true. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate that, brother. We'll be, I appreciate your time, man. And we'll be in touch real soon. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, man. Cheers.